This is Reaching the Finish Line, and I'm your host, Callan Dix. Check out the website, www.reachingthefinishline.com, and pick up my free report. Save up to 75% what they don't want you to know. ReachingTheFinishLine.com And welcome. Today, I am delighted to have Matt Curry. Matt is the Wall Street bestselling author of the ADD Entrepreneur. Matt has also built and sold a $20 million automotive business, all with having ADD. Uh, he's also been recognized for his philanthropic work in the local community and all also has uh, been seen on uh, national news, NBC4, DC, and has won awards as well. Matt, thanks for being our guest. Thanks for having me on. As you know, many people, they go through, well, many people rather, they have ADD. It affects millions of people. And sometimes people, they use it as an excuse. Well, I'm not successful because I have ADD or I have ADHD. Or you, you can fill in the name of disease and they'll use, the, use it as an excuse while, why they're not successful. But, but you are, you are the, the success story that has persevered and has achieved success in the midst of having ADD. Perhaps you can start, maybe summarize, give us a background, you know, you know, as far as you dealing with ADD and then how you led up to um, having a multi-million dollar automotive business. Well, sure. I mean, I feel like my ADD is a gift. Okay. I don't, you know, I use it as my superpower and I don't use it as a negative. Uh, I was actually diagnosed with ADD, medically diagnosed back uh, when I was 11 years old in seventh grade. My parents took me to Children's Hospital in Boston. I went through two days of rigorous testing and evaluation. And on the third day, the doctors came in and said that I had ADD or ADHD, uh, attention deficit disorder, and uh, some learning disabilities. Um, and uh, so they basically said I was gonna have to work two or three times harder than anybody else to achieve any type of success in life or certainly in business. And they put me on Ritalin and I think that way too many kids are, are uh, prescribed meds when they shouldn't be, but I was put on Ritalin for a year. And I'm really glad that my parents and the doctors took me off because again, I feel like, you know, ADD gives me a ton of energy. It, it, uh, it allows me to, to execute on ideas. I see things in the market, you know, like a bigger picture that other people don't see sometimes and I can creatively problem solve. So I think, you know, kind of to get to your, your question a little bit, Everybody's got something, you know, whether it's AD or manic depressant or obsessive compulsive disorder or whatever. You kind of need to be aware of who you are and use those things, you know, kind of as a tool to maybe for. Uh, that is very well put. And, uh, and that's the thing. It's, it's all in your perspective. You know, uh, you know for example, just to, for, just to give a background for maybe the people who are just listening for the first time who are not you know, aware of my, my personal background is uh, my parents was in my life. Uh, my grandfather passed when I was 15 years old, uh, when I turned 15. Uh, surely I could have used that excuse to say, oh, you know, I don't have the, 
I don't have the family support to be able to reach the finish line in my career to be able to be successful, you know. Or or a person or, or a person can use the same or a person can use something in your situation, man. Oh, I have ADD. I will never be as smart or as intelligent as effective. Uh, but as you see, you know, uh, myself, I persevere through that. Yourself, uh, uh, basically uh, selling a multi-million-dollar business, have persevered in the midst of these challenges. It all comes down to a person's perspective. And hey, am I going to let this situation uh, deter me or am I going to use the situation to my advantage? And as you said, as you say yourself, for you, it's not a curse. It's actually a gift and it has been instrumental in your career. So let's talk about the automotive business, uh, Matt, because uh, many people think it's a dying industry. You think, oh, it's a blue collar job. You know, I, I don't, don't want to get involved in this. I don't want to get all dirty. Actually, you know, statistics show um, blue collar industries are still thriving, and you're just a testament of it uh, as far as building and selling your $20 million automotive business. Maybe you can talk about how you got started in automotive business and then how you build it up and was eventually able to sell it for $20 million. Sure, absolutely. So I'm a big believer in beginning at the beginning. Uh, in other words, find something that you know, that you that you like, what you're good at, and uh, learn everything about it. So that's what I did. I, I was into cars. I loved cars. I've been racing cars for a long time. And uh, when I was 15, I started changing tires and changing oil and cleaning bathrooms and moved my way into an apprentice technician and then went into management, ran seven different stores for three different companies and like tripled sales everywhere I went. And I figured if I could do it for somebody else, I could do it for myself. So I started my, my first store on $103,000 and 13 credit cards and uh, every dime I had in, the, in my pocket and grew it to uh, 10 locations. Uh, you know, again, servicing about 5,000 cars a month, almost 20 million in revenues and sold it to, we were voted the number one auto repair shop in North America, which is really cool. And I sold it to a, a publicly traded billion dollar corporation a couple of years ago. So I think beginning at the beginning, finding something that you know, you've heard that phrase, you do something you love and you'll never, you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah. Well, I don't believe it. I don't believe that. I believe in doing something that you're good at. Okay. And you'll find something you love. I mean, I wanted to be a professional football player, but I'm five foot five and 150 pounds. I played football for eight years, but then everybody got, got bigger and I didn't. Okay. <laughs> so Eight. I was good at talking. I was good at sales. I'm good at talking to people. So be, finding something that you're good at and becoming an expert in it, you know, is you know my, my key piece of advice. I am so glad you said that, Matt, because that that is still buzzing around the whole entrepreneurial sphere. And I think I think it's a misnomer. You know, the whole oh, you know, if you do what you love, you'll you never work a day in life. And for myself. I wanted to be a basketball player, you know, but uh, the fact of the matter is any time where you're shorter than six feet, you have to be really, really good because uh, <laughs> you, know, you have to be someone like right. you have to be someone like uh, Nate Robertson. You, ha- you have to really be talented when you're that short because you have to compensate. You know, and for myself, um, you know, I'm barely six feet. You know, I was, you know, I played college basketball. I was average at best. And uh, I came to the realization, well, hey. This is not what I'm going to be doing. As much as much as I love playing basketball, this is not what I'm going to end up be doing um, as a career. So it, it, it goes back to getting realistic. 
as you, as you stated, finding something that you're good at, you know, and for yourself, you know, you, f you found that in the automotive, automotive business. And for everyone, everyone is different. Everyone has something is different. Finding something that you're good at and with and in and, and, and that realm, you can find something within that that you will find more pleasure in. Now, of course, you're not going to probably love it every single day, but you will appreciate it more and you will enjoy it more as a career. Would you agree with that, Matt? I would absolutely agree with that. I think, you know, if you find out what your talents are and you become self-aware of that, your ROI is going to be 10 to 100 times doing something like, for instance, I would not make a good accountant or a good lawyer sitting in an office reading 100-page contracts. So you need to maximize your potential, okay? You know, the other thing you mentioned earlier, you know, about the ADD thing, one thing I wanted, and I speak at a lot of colleges and high schools and stuff, and something I tell these, these young students, these students, is that you know what people say or think about you doesn't define you all right uh, you know just because somebody says okay well he can't sit still he's he's disorganized da, 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 that may be true that may all be true but it also there's a lot of positive characteristics go with that so what, what people say and think about you doesn't define you you define who you are and by your by the actions you take and and the things that you do so my you know what i challenge people to do is find out what they're good at what they, you know, and, and maximize their potential and they'll get 10 to 100 times the, the ROI. Yeah, and I agree, you know, uh, actually, uh, you know, I, I'm very disorganized myself. You know, I always tell people that uh, uh, before, before I kind of had my own office, when I used to do everything at home, uh, people should have just saw my place. It was like a wreck, you know. I, you know, you know, I had, <laughs> I, had, I had, I had papers. I had my computer. I had, um, I, I had my recording equipment. I had, I had so much thing. I had so many things all over the place. And everyone has their different kind of format of working. And some people are more effective. You know, Tr sometimes trying to get someone to be extremely organized can be very difficult and can actually be counterproductive than allowing a person to be able to be comfortable in their space. And if it, requ and if it requires a person to have some disorganization well if, if it helps that person to be more productive then it's best to allow uh, allow that person uh, to go uh, their own way so uh, I, I'm really glad that you articulated uh, in that manner and I agree you know uh, you know a lot of times people they'll use these certain labels to define someone and sometimes most of these labels they can be very uh, detrimental they can be very negative labels and people often host that to prevent them from being able to be in, uh, successful uh, in your life, and as we said before, that kind of went into uh, again, you know, finding finding what you uh, really good at, and then uh, finding something within that uh, to be able to uh, find a career that you will have more pleasure in. But if we can move on, uh, let's talk about because uh, I think I think one thing entrepreneurs are probably very interested in learning is, you know, how does a person scale a business what's the right time to scale uh, you know what's the right what's the right time to uh, elicit you know venture capital or to to elicit uh, equity from investors um, perhaps maybe based on your experience you can share some advice um, to the audience absolutely so the biggest thing to scale you know, make things is, is to make things repeatable you want to have really a robust policies and procedures in place at Curry's Auto Service, we we made the automotive repair an experience for the customers. All right, we had your showrooms were, were spotless. We had snacks, we had coffee, we had comfortable waiting areas for for women and, and children's areas for the kids. So, and our shops were very clean. 
and we had all of our guys, you know, do everything from the check-in process to the customer to the checkout process of of inspecting the vehicle and all that. We did things the same every time, okay. And if you do that, everybody's your whole team's going to know what to you know what to expect from you and what you expect from them. So having robust policies and procedures uh, is super important, so you can make things repeatable and scalable. And also, whatever business you're in, you should be you should try and offer it, make it, it experiential, okay? Make it a positive thing. Customer service and being honest and all that stuff is super important and just having the highest level of integrity. But, but also making it a fun and experience for the customers is important, fun and comfortable experience. So the you know, policies and procedures, making it, making it uh, experiential and awesome customer service, you can't go wrong. So. Matt, when did you decide to open your second location? Let, 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 let's talk about some uh, signs that you've seen that said, okay, I'm ready for a second location. Perhaps I could give some contrast for the entrepreneur. Sure. Well, I've been in the automotive business pretty much my whole life. I was racing cars. So I was in with the BMW, Porsche, Mercedes, Audi clubs, and all that stuff. And we were, at, we were pretty busy right away. I mean, we expanded our first location. We bought the building next door and expanded from you know, roughly 4,000 square feet to 7,000 square feet. And that was when AOL, which was in my area, was really getting big. And we worked on tons of their cars. These guys had loads of money, and that's the customer we went out, customers who have money that could spend money. And uh, when we were booked about two, week in, two weeks in advance all the time, wow. <laughs> it was pretty. It was a pretty, pretty easy decision, hey, I need to go find a location. So I found one right near uh, AOL's headquarters at the time. It was early 2000s. And, uh, you know, kind of went to where my customers were coming from as well. So, and again, what we did is we took the same things that worked at, you know, at store one and, and did the same thing at store two. And I learned all those things in the business in the, you know, 15 years or so that I was in the business before that. I took all the good lessons I learned and dis, you know, and all the good examples and discarded the bad ones. And that's what I want. I wanted my company to be the best. So you got to have a great vision for your company. And then you need to have a game plan, all right? And you need to share that vision and game plan with your employees. And that's that goes back to policies and procedures and everything else. Right. And then you want to have, put a message together, a message for your customers, a message for your employees, and make it a, a, a powerful and compelling message. Right. You know, that you use for marketing and all that. I just want to take a moment to tell you about DreamHost. DreamHost.com is the award-winning web hosting service rated by PC Magazine. With their current rates and positive reviews, I couldn't think of a better company to recommend. You can get $10 off a one-year hosting plan or $25 off a two-year hosting plan when you use the promo code Callen, K-A-L-L-E-N. DreamHost.com, PC's Magazine, best web hosting service. I believe you stated earlier how you talked about that you use some debt. This is a challenge that entrepreneurs have. You know, they think, okay, should I bootstrap? Uh, should I should I take my idea and approach venture capitalists, or should I use credit and kind of you know uh, you know use some debt to get started? Now, perhaps maybe you could talk about all three approaches and maybe you know kind of which ones you like, but kind of offer some uh, perspective on the two others. So again, uh, bootstrapping as opposed to venture capital and equity, as opposed to debt from credit cards or uh, government or private loans? Okay. Well, first, I mean, any VC um, 
firm or private equity firm is going to want you know proof of concept. So you're going to have to bootstrap, you know, unless you have a you know a huge budget to get your idea started. Whether it's an automotive repair shop or an app on the internet, I've got tons of entrepreneur friends that are internet marketers and and do websites and such. So you got to have a good proof of concept before a VC or a private equity firm you know really even wants to get you know will get involved, unless it's just something phenomenal. But uh, so, so bootstrapping is important, I think, and and that's that's what I did. I, I left a hundred and ten thousand dollar a year job to pay myself thirty five thousand dollars a year, and again, I literally started my first store on one hundred and three thousand dollars and thirteen credit cards, and because I couldn't get capital, capital is a challenge in a, on, a, on a startup on a new business. So I would think number one is you, you bootstrap, you get it going, you 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 get profitable or at least get you know cash flow positive. Uh, and then if you if you really need to go out and get money, I mean I'm I'm kind of against that because I wanted to own it. If I had if I had you know tried to get a VC company involved or a private equity, I would have given up a lot of a lot of Curry's Auto Service. So we used the the cash flow from our business to open the open all the other stores. So uh, you know bootstrapping, get it profitable, and before you take p- private equity or VC money, you know make sure that's really what you want to do. You know the government government programs. Uh, you know the SBA. Uh, they they can be helpful, for sure, because they they'll like I forgot. I think it's a 501 plan or something. I forgot what it's called, but they'll they'll guarantee up to like 40 percent of the loan through a bank. So that's a good way to go. SBA is uh, you know can be helpful. Great, great. So now let's let's uh, take the opportunity to uh, transition uh, into your book. You know it's been a Wall Street uh, bestselling book. It's called the ADD. Uh, entrepreneur, you know, who is the book for? You know, what would a person find if they pick up the book and, and read it? Well, it's a it's mostly a business book that's that has my personal story in it. So, I've got uh, a lot of good lessons learned along the way. I think it's a great book for anybody who is an entrepreneur, anybody who is thinking about getting into a business, or really any employee, because. There's lessons to be learned. Cameron Harold, who was the COO of 1-800-GOT-JUNK and the author of Double Double, wrote my foreword. And he's manic depressant. And we talk about how, you know, people have different gifts and skills and using those gifts and skills. So what I wasn't, what I wasn't good at, I surrounded myself with, with people who were, who were good at things that I wasn't good at. Okay. But so we, we talk about that in the book. I think the book is good for really anybody who's, who's in business or certainly wants to start a business. And uh, there's a lot of great lessons learned. So I've been very blessed. It was, it was, it's been successful and you know well liked, and it's, it's been fun. Great. And uh, you know, on a side note, and I think that's worth plugging. Uh, you said how the COO of uh, 100. 100 junk. Uh, I think uh, I think said wrote a forward and endorsed your book. Uh, for people who want to check out uh, on episode 31, I interviewed the CEO of 100 junk, uh, Brian Scudamore, and uh, he talks a little bit about uh, what we're talking about right now. So uh, uh, for those of you who are interested, Ooh. definitely check out um, episode uh, 31. Now another thing, Matt, is uh, people you know are finding that kind of one of the entry levels to kind of see some opportunity is to write a book. The average author sells 250 books, which is sad because most authors don't know how to market themselves, promote themselves, uh, expand their brand and grow awareness. A lot of people are still deficient when it comes in, in that marketing aspect because they expect the publisher to do everything for them. You know, Now, unless you're already known, 
know, maybe somebody like yourself, or maybe somebody like Mark Cuban, or maybe somebody like that, then usually the publishers would, you know, put a lot of uh, money and marketing behind on that author to really make it a success. But if you're a typical guy, you just want to write a book, um, usually they throw you, you know, a few thousand dollars and they say, hey, well, you figure it out. And uh, typically, you know, they, they kind of mitigate their losses because number one, they often take the rights to your book, and number two, they pay you peanuts. And um, I, I try to, I try to, I try to tell a lot of people who want to become authors these types of disclosures because people tend to have unrealistic expectations. Now yourself, Matt, you became a Wall Street best-selling author. You know, that's a designation that many people covet. You know, what were some things you thought that was instrumental? And attaining that status. Huge network of friends. I'm in a couple uh, entrepreneur groups, Mavericks. I'm, I'm in Buenos Aires right now at, the, at a Maverick event, which is a group of international group of entrepreneurs, and we get together and do philanthropy and venture travel and mentoring and that type of thing. And the Genius Network. I did have a publisher behind us, uh, behind me, and they were good and they had a list. But I would say anybody, you know, if you're gonna write a book, don't write a book just to write a book. You know, you gotta write a book that really means something. And this was a personal story as well as a lot of valuable business, uh, uh, you know, ideas in, in my book. I think so. If I read a book, for instance, I want to read a book that somebody's about some somebody has already accomplished something, right? Uh -huh. So writing a book does give you does give you credibility in the marketplace and such. But you want to make sure that you're you're teaching a valuable lesson when you do it. Uh -huh. And so that, that's what I would say. And then if you're going to write a book. You know, have everybody help market. I mean, I've got over 10,000 people on my author page in six months, uh, and I had, you know, 3,000 or whatever people on my personal page and mm -hmm. LinkedIn and Twitter. So you, you can't be, don't be afraid to self promote and get your friends involved. I've got some, some pretty influential friends, and I asked them to get involved. And, you know, it was great. I was number one in, in Amazon in nine different categories, and I was a Wall Street Journal bestseller. Uh, I beat Tom Brokaw, which is pretty cool. That's, that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> he, was number, <laughs> he was number nine. I was number eight. So that was pretty neat to see. But yeah, it's been it's been a real blessing. I I want to I want to do this to leverage speaking, for instance, and that's really what I want to do because I want to help people and I want to I want to inspire people. That's that's my mission in life, really, right now. Right. I think it's very important what you said about don't just write a book to write a book. You know, I, I, it's very important that, you know, if anything, you know, if you want to make a difference, if you want to be meaningful, if you want to make an impact, is to take the opportunity, if you are going to write a book, to use the experience and perhaps craft it in a way that's going to be beneficial to people who may buy the book. You know, sometimes pe there are people out there, which I don't agree with the route that they're taking, but there are people out there, they'll just write a book just for the you know the heck of it you know they kind of have no no background no experience whatsoever and um, you know some people they, they got lucky and you know their book sold well but I think that's disingenuous to their readers because uh, it, it, it comes to in order for someone to really uh, have success in their life they, they often they look to authors they often they look to other types of influencers and uh, if a person doesn't have the experience to be very effective in teaching, well, that person is going to do a disservice to their readers, and then the readers they're going to end up um, taking a loss as well. So uh, again, I think I think you're one of the great examples uh, among many people uh, who uh, who has who has written who has written a book that has made an impact on the masses, and also is um, 
looking forward to doing um, bigger things and making a difference in the world. Because as we come to a close, Matt, um, perhaps you can, uh, you know, tell people how they can follow you and maybe how they can uh, pick up the book. Sure, uh, you can get it by Facebook page. Uh, it, it's my, my author page, Matt, Matt Curry. Uh, you can also go to a dash of curry.com. That's a dash of curry.com because too much curry is too much curry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you can pick up my book there. You can follow me. You can like me. Uh, and I would love you to do that. Great. Matt, thank you for being our guest. All right, Ken. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Just another great episode by Callan Diggs, best-selling author and career strategist at Seen and Fast Company and Inc. Magazine. If you're not on an email list, you're missing out. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and subscribe to get all the exclusives.